Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we've all come together now as your children to hear from you, our teaching Father. Father who teaches us with love and so, Lord, here we are now teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 53, uh, 41, 53. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come according to, as Joseph had said, the dearth was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, go unto Joseph, and what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was sore in all the lands. Okay, now, in our last study, you'll remember how we saw how the famine was in all the land of Egypt, as it says here, and how the Egyptians, as it says, they cried to Pharaoh, and the Egyptians, when they cried to Pharaoh, the word that's used here in the Hebrew to describe that is the word sak. And sak, it means to shriek, to shriek out. It's the same word that is used for the first blood that was shed, the blood of Abel, when that was what the blood of Abel was doing that Cain had killed Abel after it was murdered. When it says in Genesis 4.10, and he said, what hast thou done? God was speaking to Cain. And the voice of thy brother's blood crieth, that's the word sock, that's a shriek unto me from the earth. So these starving Egyptians were shrieking to Pharaoh. They were in a state of absolute desperation, like a person who's drowning and has just come up to the surface, realizing this might be the last time that he has to cry out for someone to help him from drowning. And the Egyptians had had tried to maintain themselves in this famine, but now it had just reached this level of desperation. And that's what made Pharaoh's reply to them in verse 55, go unto Joseph, so monumental. And we can just imagine how this sounded to the Egyptians who had relied on Pharaoh in the past to hear them and take care of them. And now comes this great change that the Egyptians heard from Pharaoh, which was, which was this, the days of approaching me as Pharaoh directly, they're over, they're finished. And from now on, there's only one way for an Egyptian to approach Pharaoh, and that was through Joseph the Hebrew. So what Pharaoh was doing here is making it very clear, no exceptions. He said this, you'll notice in the verse, to all the Egyptians, no exceptions to this new rule of how to approach Pharaoh only through Joseph. As a matter of fact, there's one word that I said there in verse 55, it's the word all that makes this so clear. And if an Egyptian, for example, came to Pharaoh and said, 
That's just too narrow. I mean, I think there should be some other ways to approach you. I mean, it's just, you know, I have some very impressive ways to approach the king. For example, I think that I should be able to approach the king through a relative of the king of Pharaoh or a priest or a priestess. And Pharaoh would tell them, when I said go unto Joseph, that ruled out all other ways for any Egyptian to come to me directly. And it also meant that there was no other person to come to me through, even a priestess. Just as when Pharaoh said, go unto Joseph, he meant there's no other way. There was no other way. So, so it is today. There's no other way for a person to come to God except through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That means that, means that no man can go directly to God the Father. They have to go through the Lord Jesus Christ to get to God the Father. That's not to say that people today don't try to go directly to God the Father without through the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people today try to go to God directly and not through the Lord Jesus Christ, and they can't do it. They can't do it. Many people today try to go to God to God through Mary as a relative of the Lord Jesus Christ or as Mary the priestess. And for this purpose, they try to overexalt Mary by calling her the mother of God. Such a term. Her mother of God. Who ever thought of that anyway? But they cannot go to God except through the Lord Jesus Christ, not through Mary, the relative of the Lord Jesus Christ, not through Mary, the mother of God, as if God had a mother. But anyway, when people today try to go to God through some person who they may call a saint, and they pray to some saint, they can't get to God except through the Lord Jesus Christ, not through some saint. And just as Pharaoh gave no other way and no other person and through no other person to get to him except through Joseph. So God gives no option for any person to get to God the Father except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus addressed this issue of getting to heaven to buy another way. When he said, in the first verse of John 10, John 10, 1, he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way. The same is a thief and a robber. Now, when he described people trying to enter in, not by the door, but climbing up some other way, he was describing people trying to get to heaven by some other way. And he was using this term, climbing up. He was, he was describing hard work in climbing up. It's hard work. It's hard work to try to get in and to avoid using the door. And it's a lot of hard work to live the life of an Orthodox Jewish person. I've had many Orthodox Jewish people tell me that you don't know how hard this life is to try to live and keep all 613 commandments, which by the way, I've never seen a list of them, but they say they exist, and only eat kosher food and only pray specific prayers at specific times and only wear specific clothes. A lot of hard work. And that's a lot of hard work of climbing into heaven by some other way instead of just entering in by the door. It's a lot of hard work for a devout Muslim who is praying five times a day, eating only halal food, meat, and praying those prayers and using those prayer beats. It's a lot of hard work. 
It's a lot of hard work climbing into heaven by some other way instead of just simply entering in by the door. It's a lot of hard work for any devout religious person by keeping the ordinances, making the prayers, attending the necessary meetings, etc. A lot of hard work climbing into heaven some other way instead of just coming in by the door. And all of this reminds me of our compound in Ethiopia. And there we have surrounding it a wall, a concrete wall that's a half a mile long. It's a long, long wall. It's nine feet tall. It's solid concrete, 12 inches thick. It has barbed wire on the top. And then we have a gate. And if we saw someone trying to enter into that compound by climbing up the nine-foot concrete wall with the barbed wire, there's only one conclusion. He's got to be a thief and a robber. As, you know, and just to tell you about this, we had a beautiful, it was really nice. It was a big, beautiful, expensive electric generator that came from Turkey. And it weighed about 500 pounds. And so one morning, one morning, the guards told our manager, thieves and robbers had climbed over the wall and stolen the generator when we were asleep. That's what our guards said. <laughs> That's what they told us. So our manager's not stupid, you know. But Kelly says, oh, really? Okay, well, let's just call the police. So the police come, and they ask the guards, you know, how did this generator get stolen? And they said, well, they came over the wall, and they carried the 500-pound generator over the wall with ladders. And then the police ask our guards, well, what part of the wall did the thieves come over to steal the generator? And over there, well, let's go look at it. So they went over to inside the compound there, and they saw, sure enough, the dirt was all disturbed and messed up. The guards said, see, this is where it all took place. And then Bekele, he's very smart. He said to the police, why don't you look on the other side of the wall, <laughs> on the outside? So the police said, okay, let's go to the other side of the wall to where you say the thieves came over the wall to steal the generator. And our guards weren't expecting that. They looked a little surprised. So the police and the guards and Bakella all go over to the other side where this supposedly happened, and the dirt was completely undisturbed. <laughs> there was not even a footprint, you know. And then the police, you know, question our guards of how could the thieves do this very hard work of climbing over the wall, lift this 500-pound generator with ladders over the wall, and then miraculously, not any of the dirt is disturbed on the other side. And the guards didn't have any answers to the police, though so the police arrest of the guards, and now our guards are in prison as accomplice to stealing our generator by opening the gates to let thieves in. But from the start, the police suspected that they had come the easier way through the gate instead of climbing up some other way. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is emphasizing here when it's, it's so much easier just to go through the gate instead of to climb up some other way. And as a matter of fact, when the Lord Jesus Christ used the words in John 10, 1, entereth not in by the door, but climbeth up some other way. That's a description of all man's religions. All man's religions is, that, is a description of hard work trying to climb into heaven by some other way instead of just simply taking the easier way of entering in by the door. So when the Lord Jesus spoke this so much about the easy way to come in by the door instead of climbing up some other way, it's all leading to the big question in John 10, what's the gate? What's the gate as the easier entrance he was speaking about? So when he gave this in John 10, this was just like this traumatic buildup to this point when he came to verse 7. 
of John 10, and that's when the climax was, and he said, then said Jesus said unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door, he said in verse 9, John 10, 9. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved or saved and go in and out and find pasture. So those are the most important words there in that narrative in John 10, 9. I am the door by me. It's the easier way into heaven. And any other way than by him into heaven is climbing up some other way. And any person who tries to enter heaven by the hard work of climbing in some other way, he's identified as a thief and a robber. And the Lord Jesus, because the Lord Jesus himself, he's the door, he's the only door, and if a person works really hard and tries to get into heaven by some other way, he's seen as a thief and a robber. Thieves and robbers do work really hard. Sometimes uh, it, it could be said that thief and robbers work so hard to steal, if they just put the same amount of work to honest work, they can, <laughs> it's hard. And coming into heaven by him, it's the easiest way. Just as easy as walking through a door. Okay, now, what the Lord Jesus Christ does for those who come to him is described in Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25 is a wonderful verse because it says, wherefore he is able, those are great words, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So in short, these words, he is able, Hebrews 7.25. Uh, let's say there was an Egyptian who just doesn't like the name of Joseph. I mean, it's, it's just he doesn't want to come to the name Joseph because Joseph's a Hebrew name and Hebrews for Egyptian, Hebrews were an abomination. And just imagine how this sounded to an Egyptian coming from Pharaoh, go to a Jew named Joseph and what he says you should do, do it. It's very hard for an Egyptian to hear that. I mean, in verse 55, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And, and it's hard. It's hard as for a Jewish person. It's just as hard as for a Jewish person to hear from God, go unto Jesus and what he saith to you, do. It's really hard for a Jewish person to hear from God, go to Christ and what he saith to you, do. And it's just, really, it's just hard for most of the world to hear God say to them, go to Jesus Christ and what he saith to you do. And so it's understandable to see how an Egyptian could have asked the question, couldn't I just go directly to Pharaoh without going through Joseph? And Pharaoh would say the words, he would answer that question in verse 55, he would say, no, go unto Joseph. No one can come to Pharaoh without going through Joseph. And in the same way, eternal life comes down to one simple criteria. It's not complicated at all. It's about as simple as walking through a door. When it says in 1 John 5.11, 1 John 5.11 said, this is the record. God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's just that simple. To have the Lord Jesus Christ is to have eternal life. And to not have the Lord Jesus Christ is to not have eternal life. Now, verse 55. Verse 55. This may seem like a dumb question, but follow along anyway. <laughs> verse 55. Who did Pharaoh say to go to? He said Joseph. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting 
this is an exact quote. He said, go on to Joseph. Isn't that interesting to you that Pharaoh said to the Egyptians that they should go to Joseph? That's a direct quote, to Joseph. In verse 45, what name did Pharaoh give to Joseph? What name did Pharaoh say Joseph should be called? Verse 45. I just want to hear you say it. <laughs> it's just, I don't even know what the word means. I guess, I, but anyway, I just love to say, Zafnath Paneach. <laughs> can you say that like seashells, seashells, seashells? <laughs> How many times can you say Zafnath Paneach? Anyway, verse 45 specifically states, Pharaoh called Joseph's name, Zafnath Paneah. Now, when we look at verse 55, when the famished Egyptians came to Pharaoh asking for bread, then we have a direct quote from, jo- from Pharaoh where he says, go unto Joseph. Oops, Joseph, he says. Okay, that was a direct quote. Go unto Joseph. Doesn't that seem strange to you? Because in verse 45, he said, you call him Zatnath Paneach. <laughs> Maybe he had trouble saying Zatnath Paneach. <laughs> Joseph was easier, I don't know. But in verse 55, when Pharaoh spoke to the Egyptian people, he didn't call him Zatnath Paneach. He didn't say, go to Zatnath Paneach. <laughs> Pharaoh had said that Joseph's name should be Zatnath Paneach. But why didn't Pharaoh say to the Egyptians, go to Zatnath Paneach? Why did Pharaoh say to the Egyptians, go unto Joseph? Well, the reason is because no matter what new name they may have given to Joseph, it didn't stick because his well-known name was Joseph. Joseph would always be known as Joseph and not Zathnath Paneach. Well, then the question is, well, why did Pharaoh want to change his name then to Zathnath Paneach instead of Joseph? And the answer is because Joseph is a Hebrew name and Hebrews were an abomination to the Egyptians. So he tried to soften the offense. Pharaoh tried to soften the offense by giving Joseph another name. And the point is that it didn't work. It didn't work. Even though Pharaoh, with a new name, tried to hide the fact that Joseph was in a Hebrew, it didn't work because even Pharaoh himself reverted back to using the name of Joseph, and he abandoned this name of Zathnath Paneah, which was designed to hide the name of Joseph. That's a very important for us. Why? Because it's exactly what's happening today. What do you mean? Just as the Egyptians found the well-known Hebrew name of Joseph as offensive, so the Jewish people find the well-known Greek name of Jesus to be offensive. And just as Pharaoh tried to hide the well-known Hebrew name of Joseph with an Egyptian name of Zatnat Paneah, so people today try to hide the well-known Greek name of Jesus with a Hebrew name of Yeshua. And just as this hiding of the well-known Hebrew name of Joseph with an Egyptian name of Zatnat Paneah didn't work, and Pharaoh himself reverted back to calling him by his well-known Hebrew name of Joseph. So this hiding of the well-known Greek name of Jesus with the Hebrew name of Yeshua has not worked. And people revert back to calling him by his well-known Greek name of Jesus. And we can imagine people in Egypt really trying to get that Egyptian name, Zatnat Benea, to stick so that every time an Egyptian referred to him as Joseph, someone would say, you know, we don't call him Joseph around here. We call him Zatnath Paneach. 
<laughs> and try as they would to call him Zafnath, whatever that name is, Zafnath Paneah, they'd give up. And they'd go back to calling him by his well-known name of Joseph. And that's exactly what, what happens today, is there are those who really try to get the Hebrew name of Yeshua to stick, so that every time someone calls him Jesus, someone will say, you know, we don't call him Jesus around here. We call him Yeshua. But for the most, try as they would call him Yeshua, they give up and just go back to the well-known name of Jesus. Now, deep in the heart of man, the name of Jesus is offensive. It's not just to Jewish people. It's just offensive. Do you ever wonder why people curse with that name Jesus? I mean, of all the names they could choose to curse with, why do they choose that name? I mean, when they're hurt or when they're surprised, why do they say Jesus? Why do they say Jesus? Because the name of Jesus is so offensive. It's so demeaning, to use it that way. And people would really just like to avoid the name of Jesus, like the former Orthodox Jewish man from New York City who called in to to Erm this week, this last week, and said he does believe in God, but he's not accepting that God is Jesus Christ. Why? Because... The Lord Jesus Christ is a stumbling block, it says in in Isaiah 8.14. He is a stumbling block. Isaiah 8.14 says, and he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And Peter picks up on this in 1 Peter 2.8, 1 Peter 2.8. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient whereunto they were called. So you can see somebody, you know, he's going along, he's, oh, you know, I like the Bible. Oh, I like God. Oh, I like the heritage. I looked at, and, he, and he's walking, and then all of a sudden the name of Jesus comes. He stumbles. Oh, no. My toe hurts. You know, <laughs> I just hit, I, I, can't you say Yeshua? You have to say Jesus. I can tolerate, maybe I can tolerate Yeshua, but not Jesus. I just hurt my toe on that name. And so God answers this question. Can I just come to God, but not through Jesus? And for that question, the answer is, again, Hebrews 7.25. Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost. That come unto God by him. By him. That's a restriction. Can I also come to God and not say the name of Jesus? And for that, again, the same is, he's able to save them to the uttermost. That come unto God by him. Well, can I just come to God and, you know, I got in my wallet right here, my Jewish certificate is somewhere in here. <laughs> and my Jewish certificate says, I attended Hebrew school. I was bar mitzvahed. I went to Seder every year, almost every year. I was in temple for the high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I never ate pork, except for that one time, but I never did it again. I never ate a cheeseburger mixing dairy and meat, except for that one time, but no one was looking. I said kidney prayer for the dead for my parents every year. Is that enough? Isn't all that enough to get me into heaven without Jesus? And the answer comes back as Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews 7.25, wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. It's always by him, by him. That's the answer. So all these questions Can I come unto God without Jesus? The answer is Acts 4.10. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the earth? Do you believe God created you in his image? Then come celebrate Museum Day at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Museum Day is a Christian family festival event with life-size dinosaurs, games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, vendor booths, petting zoos, live animal encounters, and super science experiments for kids, along with world-renowned speakers Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, David Reeves, Russ Miller, Kevin Conover, Dr. John Baumgartner, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements for you and your family and entire church family are free. The Creation and Earth History Museum is located off of Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. So bring your family and friends on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and strengthen your faith at Museum Day. For more information, call us at 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org, creationsd.org.